if inciting an insurrection does not warrant impeachment, nothing does. I took an oath to uphold the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Today, I vote to uphold my oath. That's the voice of Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee on the House floor explaining his vote in favor of impeaching President Trump for a second time. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. Donald Trump is now the first president in history to be impeached twice, this time for inciting insurrection against the United States. Congressman Dan Kildee joins me now to talk about that, as well as some huge news related to the water crisis in his hometown of Flint. Congressman Kildee, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's good to be back. Yeah. So talk about yesterday's vote to impeach President Trump and why you believe it was so necessary, even with just a week left in his presidency. Well, first of all, we have to hold the president accountable and use the tool we have for this horrible act that he is responsible for. The Constitution gives us one tool. And because he's close to the end of his term, I mean, we don't take the position when somebody's about to retire from the bank that since they're embezzling in their last week, can't we just all move on? Can't we just, you know, leave, look the other way? It's ridiculous. It's a preposterous argument that some of my Republican colleagues have been offering because they just, they still support him. They don't want to, they don't want to offend him. So history has to be correct. We have an obligation, not just to this moment, but for the future, that, as I said on the floor of the House, if this doesn't constitute justification for impeachment, I don't know why the framers included it in the Constitution. This was an insurrection fomented by the president based on a big lie that he has been telling for months that caused an attack on the U.S. Capitol, caused me to have my life at risk. I was in a really bad situation for a while. I was one of the members left behind, stuck in the gallery when the crowd was coming in. This was a horrible thing. And the Constitution gives us this tool. We we have no choice. We have to do it. And I'm glad we did. So 10 Republicans joined House Democrats in voting in favor of impeachment, and two, including two from here in Michigan, Congressman Fred Upton and new Congressman Peter Meyer. Talk about what that support from those Republicans means, uh, as well as what we heard yesterday from the vast majority of Republicans who voted no. Well, first of all, I was very proud of my, my two uh, Republican colleagues. Look, this is hard no matter what. We're all facing the same backlash. But for them, they had to stand up to a president of their own party and to a base within their own party that is really whipped up. So I give them enormous credit for having character and decency to do the right thing. And, you know, thinking about Peter Meyer, in his first few days in Congress, he lived through an attack on the Capitol and voted to impeach the president responsible for that attack. I mean, what a what a start mm. to his term. 
the, the thing that's important to say, though, and this is based on not just a lot of good reporting on Capitol Hill, but a lot of private conversations. If that vote had been a secret ballot, we would have had 50, 60, 70 Republicans voting to impeach the president. You know, this is the thing that is frustrating to me. Now, some of the reasoning I get, because I just went through a a harrowing personal experience. Some of those members said they couldn't bring themselves to vote now that they knew it would pass. They couldn't bring themselves to vote to impeach the president because they feared for their own lives. It's true. It's real. Um, Some of them did so because they are politically fearful of offending this, this, this incredibly deranged loyal base that this president somehow continues to cling to. Um, in either case, you know, what Peter Meyer and Fred Upton did was an act of both personal and political courage, and I commend them for it. Mm. I'm talking with uh, Dan Kildee. He's a Democrat from Flint Township. He represents Michigan's 5th District in Congress. We're talking about the impeachment vote yesterday, uh, the second time in Donald Trump's first term that he has been impeached by the House of Representatives. This time it was for inciting the white supremacist insurrectionist mob that attacked the U.S. Capitol last week, uh, attacked our democracy, threatened Congress members, uh, as well as uh, lots of other things about our institutional stability in this country. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what your reaction is to yesterday's House vote to impeach President Trump for a second time. Is this a good step toward accountability for inciting that mob, that riot? Or do you think it's a political overplay? In other words, that uh, we shouldn't be impeaching the president because it's so late in his term. He's about to leave office anyway next uh, Wednesday. Also, give us a call and tell us what you hope happens from here. Uh, What do you think is the path forward for a country that is so wildly split at this point uh, as as our country is? In a little bit, I'm going to talk with Congressman Kildee uh, as well about a former Governor Rick Snyder facing criminal charges of willful neglect of duty uh, related to the Flint water crisis. Uh, That's a misdemeanor. Uh, but it is a criminal charge. Uh, we're, uh, there, lots of folks have been waiting to hear what the criminal outcome of the Flint water crisis uh, would be. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you that way. Let's start with Michael in Warren. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, I have a but first, I take offense to you categorizing uh, the uh, rioters as white supremacists. Uh, why okay. are you saying that? Just because they were white? Uh, well, that's that's part of it. But uh, did you see the things that they were saying? Did you see the things that they were doing? Did you see the things that the president has said about this? If you think this was not about challenging black participation in our democracy, the votes they want to disqualify from last November are African-American votes. Did you watch the Board of Canvassers meeting uh, here in Wayne County and hear them talk about how votes from Detroit shouldn't count, but others would? Uh, You can go ahead and take offense, Michael. Uh, The time for soft-peddling the idea 
that this is about white supremacy is is over. And I, I'm sorry if that offends you, but uh, it's the truth. Well, Stephen, if I could if I could comment as well, I, yeah, I take the pro I take the mob at their word when they came in with Confederate flags. Yes, when they came in with Camp Auschwitz T-shirts on. I don't think that we can look the other way and pretend that that's not white supremacy. It is, in fact, white supremacy. For hundreds of years, there was an attempt to bring the Confederate battle flag to the capital of the United States. Yes. It never happened until that mob achieved its mission. Yes. Um, Michael has hung up and I guess does not want to discuss this any further. Uh, You know, I, I try on this show... Uh, to be very fair about giving people their voice, giving people an opportunity to say what they think. I, Michael, I, I love that you listened to the show. I love that you called to participate. But we are not going to countenance this this uh, this really uh, dishonest, uh, I think, effort to mischaracterize what's going on uh, with the president and his supporters right now. This is about race in many ways. It is not only about race. Of course, uh, there are lots of other things going on. But it is about race, and we got to stop saying uh, that it's not. Uh, let's go to Melanie in Gross Point Woods. Melanie, welcome to the show. Yes, hello. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that this president has to be held accountable. Since Nixon, we really haven't held anybody accountable. And each time, the actions are getting more and more horrific until it leads to a, an attempted coup. Um, you know, and all these people believing these lies, it's just the, the same old playbook. If you keep repeating a lie often enough and often enough, and it keeps on echoing in their empty chambers that they call heads, this is the culmination. And if he is not held accountable and everybody else that uh, enabled him to do this and continue um, listening to those ta- those um, statements on the floor, I don't know how Kildy could stand it. Mm. Um, you know, it's like Orwellian times. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very strange to watch and to listen to, Melanie. I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts there, uh, Dan. I I want to ask you about what comes next. Uh, this goes to the Senate where. Uh, they will hold a trial at some point to determine whether uh, Donald Trump should be removed from office. Do you believe that uh, there's enough support from Republicans uh, to convict the president? And do you expect, um, you know, do you expect that that Mitch McConnell, who has stood in the way of holding this president accountable for lots of things, uh, is really having a change of heart? It's hard to say, but I sure hope he has had a change of heart after an institution that he's devoted his life to, despite the fact that I disagree with the goals that he has devoted that life to. But he has devoted his life to the democratic institution of the United States Senate, the U.S. Congress. And Donald Trump organized, whipped up, and let's just be clear, cheered as that mob attacked the Capitol. And, you know, this is going to be important for people to know. Plenty of evidence, and I'm sure we'll have witnesses that will make it clear, that Donald Trump was cheering, gleeful, when the attack was underway, until some of the people around him insisted at 6 p.m. I mean, I was, I, 
I was in the gallery of the, of the house laying on the floor when a gunshot went off at 2.44 p.m., a gunshot. At 6 p.m., the president finally got around to saying maybe this wasn't such a great idea. So, you know, he has responsibility, and Mitch McConnell knows this. I hope that we'll have a moment of truth in the Senate, and the Constitution will work, and he'll be held accountable. But there, there is one other thing I just want to say, Stephen, because mm-hmm. there's been so much about can't we just move on? Can't we unite the country? Yeah, of course we need to unite the country. But we can't unite around a lie. That's dishonest. Reconciliation requires truth. Mm-hmm. And as long as even some of my Michigan colleagues continue to pretend that they don't see the truth of the big lie that was the predicate to this attack, this lie that the election was stolen, that was the predicate to the attack, as long as they continue to pretend that that lie is truth, there can be no reconciliation. The way we get to that is by holding Donald John Trump accountable and convicting him of that lie and the effect of that lie on our country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll get back to listeners in a second. But before that, uh, Congressman, I, I, I want to talk to you about what's going on with the Flint water crisis. Former Governor Rick Snyder was charged yesterday with two counts of willful neglect of duty as a result of the criminal investigation into the Flint water crisis. Uh, that is, uh, th- that's a misdemeanor charge. Uh, it is not a felony. Uh, but but give us a sense of what your reaction is to the idea of holding the governor, the former governor of the state, accountable in a criminal sense for, for what happened in, in your hometown. Well, I mean, it's a moment that the people of Flint have waited too long for. Uh, I think the principal responsibility with that lies with the previous prosecution team who failed to go after everyone who was responsible and essentially even botched that prosecution. So some of the criticism and concerns that people have had about how long it has taken shouldn't fall at the doorstep of the current uh, prosecution team because they just picked this up a year and a half ago or a little, less, a little more than that and to make their case. Having said that, it's important that they follow the facts wherever they lead them. I don't prejudge criminal investigations or criminal cases. I've made a habit over my career to never get out ahead of the justice system. I believe a judge and jury will make the determination of guilt and make the determination as to punishment. But I will say this. Justice for the people of Flint comes in lots of different forms. It comes in the form of financial compensation. It comes in the form of fixing the infrastructure that was so dangerous. It comes in the form of making sure that they have, as a community and as individuals, all the support they need to overcome these additional hurdles that have been placed upon them. But it also necessarily comes by holding accountable the people who did this to Flint. And just because a person sits behind a desk and holds a public office doesn't mean that if their actions cause tremendous injury, death, permanent lifetime impacts, that somehow they were acting in their public role so they shouldn't be held responsible. This is willful neglect. Who will be held responsible for that neglect is going to be determined by this process. And I'm very pleased 
that it, finally, at long last, the people of Flint will have their day in mm. court. You know, I, I, I don't doubt for a second that there's this feeling of relief uh, among people in Flint that finally someone is going to be held, you know, criminally liable or at least uh, charged uh, for, for what happened there. But, but I, you know, I, I've been saying this and you've been saying this since the beginning that 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 accountability doesn't begin to address the huge context in which this happened uh, over 30 years of disinvestment uh, right. and and racist policy about cities in this in this state that created the situation that Flint found itself in. And so I, I don't know, I kind of go back and forth today about, well, yes, this is a step in the direction of holding people accountable, but still not holding people accountable for that 30 years of public policy that put no Flint in that position. Yeah, the, the underlying issue here has never been addressed, and that is that we have a system in this country, and especially in this state, that allows communities to fall to the place where they're one miscalculation away from being in the position Flint was in. If, if justice takes all these different forms, but also includes getting Flint back to where it was just before the water crisis, that's not justice. That puts us right on the precipice of another failure. We have a community, and this is true across the country, but it's especially true in the older industrial cities of the, of the country where I spent most of my career working they have basically limited essential public services. The elements of civil society are barely in place. That's what happened here. That's what happened. That's how the the, the condition that Flint was in uh, made the crisis so bad. It had no resilience. It had no ability to get through this because it has been allowed to fall to such a, such a place. It's a boring subject, the municipal finance system. Mm-hmm. But it's based on, uh, I think the problem has been, our system is based on the fact that the wealthy do better and get more, and the poor do less well and get less. And that just can't be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take one more call before we have to break with Congressman Kildee Rich in Roseville. Rich, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, well, I just wanted to kind of make comments as, as far as the you know, there seems to be blanket statements on there's a dichotomy of who's on what side and whatever side you're on, there's no room for, you know, objective reasoning. You know, if you support Trump, you're a white supremacist and a racist. And if, you know, I mean, that's not the case at all. Mm. I mean, I look at it and, and I tried to get objective reporting and resources from several different news outlets and even there there seems to be either for or against you know there's lots of room in between Mm -hmm. so when people at this point who are kind of fed up on the other side of your coin and you guys you know i don't want to label you by saying the liberal media but that's part of the dichotomy you got your conservatives and your liberals but the two, as Congress needs to do, need to work through this in supporting the Constitution of the United States. Yeah. You know, in, in Rich, I, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm not a diehard Trump supporter, but I think there's been, you know, misconstruing 
of some of the things he said to where the media in a lot of ways is while he's up there saying you people go and storm the capitol and create such violent atmosphere i didn't see that at all i didn't hear that from my i hear him instigating mm-hmm. but to take that sort of an action then you got individuals in a situation like that and i don't yeah. i Rich. try not to buy into mob mentality but yeah. you got to use reasoning and say if we want to support this conservative attitude what's going to serve our purposes better to start breaking windows in the capitol or stand our ground and say hey rich i i I don't want to cut you off but i do want to be able to to respond to what you're saying and i want congressman kildy to respond as well uh you know rich i have never said that everybody who supports donald trump is a racist what i have said since the very beginning since he was elected is that if you support donald trump you are, you are accepting white supremacy. You are excusing racism because that sits at the core of so much of what he has said and done. So you don't have to be a racist to be for him, but you have to be able to overlook it. And from my perspective, that's just as dangerous. What we saw happen at the Capitol last week was about the excuses that the Republican Party has made for that kind of racism, not just since Donald Trump was elected president, but over the last five decades. They've manipulated that whole issue to their advantage to keep power to get the rest of their agenda executed. And that makes you responsible. It makes you culpable for that racism. And I know that's a pretty complicated concept to get your mind around, but it, it, it's just the truth. And we have got to stop. We've got to stop excusing that kind of that kind of association. Uh, Congressman, I'll let you respond as well. Yeah, well, well said, Stephen. And look, I understand the point of view that the gentleman has. I'm sure there are many people who support some of the policies of Donald Trump. Uh, but look. Even the gentleman himself said that Mr. Trump helped instigate. Now, it doesn't mean he specifically told them which windows to break or that they should break a window. But I just want to be clear, instigating a mob is a crime. It is. That's a crime. And so the caller himself just said that Donald Trump committed a crime. There's not, there's not two sides. There's, one, there's not, well, what about this and what about that? When it becomes to the president of the United States committing a crime, he whipped up a mob to attack the Capitol. We didn't respond in right. We responded with the Constitution. There's no two equal sides to that dichotomy. All right, All right. Okay, again, Rich, really appreciate that you listen to the show. Love that you called to be uh, a, a part of it. And if I seemed uh, exercised in my response, it's because uh, it's because of all the things that uh, are going on now and because of the urgency of, of this moment. We have got to confront uh, these things that, that are tearing our country uh, to shreds in, in, in front of our eyes. Okay, Congressman Dan Kildy, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks. We're going to take a break, and when I come back... We're going to talk with a philosophy professor who in many ways has predicted all 
of the things that we're seeing happen in our country today. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.